Good morning. Somebody's car alarm is going off. This is like, you'd think you were in a room full of cops here. Everybody's in the back and all these are vacant seats up here. That's, that's how cops do things when they go to trainings. Uh, are you guys enjoying the uh, gospel series that we're doing? Yeah. I, I really am enjoying it too. I'm glad that we're able to do that. Uh, turn in your Bibles with me today to the book of Ephesians. And we'll be in chapter 1. And I'm going to read for you uh, verses 3 through 10. This will be our sort of our focus passage for today, but we'll jump around some as well. Uh, so let me read for you from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 10. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. We have, sorry, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Let's pray this morning. Father, we are grateful to be here, uh, gathered in your name, and we lift up your name as it's holy. And we pray, Lord, as we study your word this morning, <clears throat> that you would speak to each of our hearts uh, where we need to hear from you, Lord. Thank you for uh, these exciting promises that we can read about and learn about, uh, Lord, for what you have done for us. We are so grateful. And we give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen. So looking back at the past three weeks, we've been learning about the unavoidable truths uh, found in the Word of God, and specifically those unavoidable truths that relate to or pertain to the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is our Savior. Now, why do we want to talk about the gospel so much? The gospel is everything. It is the message, and it has transforming power. Romans 1.16 says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. The gospel is the power and it is of God for salvation. It is the good news of Jesus Christ. And we've been reminded in the last few weeks that the gospel isn't just a New Testament thing. It's not a New Testament teaching only, but that it is found in the Old Testament as well. In fact, we cannot, on one hand, disregard the truth of the Old Testament and at the same time claim we believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Among other things, we can have no expectation of the need for a Savior, 
without the backstory about the nature of God, his creation, and our fallen condition. Pastor Brandon has been teaching about the unavoidable truth of the triune God and his good creation, about the unavoidable truth of the fallen condition of mankind through sin and disobedience of Adam and Eve, and the unavoidable truth that because of our fallen condition, all of mankind continually sins in its rejection of God, its idolatry, and its vain pursuits. Ephesians chapter 2 and other passages in the Bible describe our condition as being dead in our trespasses and sins. So how can we be walking, talking, breathing, and sinning if I'm dead? Well, this is a condition of spiritual death. This is one thing that's hard for unbelievers, sometimes believers, to grasp because things seem to be going just fine. Life is good, but they're spiritually dead. They are already condemned to eternal destruction. John 3.18 says, Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. We must remember that our starting point is condemnation. We're not born good, get bad, and then need Jesus We are condemned already because of sin, and we need to be brought out of that condemnation by believing in the only Son of God. There is a line that you sometimes hear in movies that describes this in a way, Uh, and one of the movies that I'm thinking of in particular is called The Rundown. In the movie, Christopher Walken's character uh, is the bad guy who has enslaved native people in Brazil, uh, has them digging for gold for him, and he runs this little town um, with an iron fist. Um, Dwayne Johnson's character comes along, and he's there for different reasons. However, he ends up trying to stop Christopher Walken. Uh, In one scene, uh, Dwayne Johnson's character is walking away and muttering under his breath, Christopher Walken says, you're dead already. You just don't know it. Um, I've heard that in several movies, actually, uh, but that's one that sticks out in my mind the most. So Dwayne Johnson is still physically alive, walking around, breathing. Um, However, Christopher Walken has plans to destroy him. Uh, Of course, this analogy breaks down in a lot of places, but I think you get my meaning. So what could or can people do about this condition? Nothing. This is spiritual death. There is no going back to the time When Adam and Eve walked with God in the garden with no shame and no guilt, sin changed everything. At one time, they walked with God in the garden in righteousness, but now could only run and hide when God came to find them. But God, according to his plan, in his grace and mercy and wisdom, determined it would not be left at that. And the Bible is full of promises from God to his people but none better than the promise of a Savior. God chose a people for himself in the Israelites. He promised them an inheritance in the land of Canaan. He promised to be their God and that they would be his people. And in order to get them to this promised land, he had to save them from their bondage in Egypt. In that story, we also have a picture of Jesus Christ. In the 12th chapter of Exodus, Uh, If you want to begin turning there, 
the Lord told Moses and Aaron to instruct the people that he was going to pass through the land of Egypt to destroy all the firstborn. of all men and all beasts. And this was because Pharaoh refused to release God's people. They've already gone through a bunch of plagues, and Pharaoh has been unwilling to let God's people go. And this is the tenth of the plagues that God sent. Moses and Aaron told the Israelites that the Lord said, the only way to be saved from this judgment was by the blood of a male lamb without blemish. So we'll go to Exodus chapter 12. I'm going to read verse 13, then we're going to skip down to 21 through 28. So verse 13 of Exodus 12 says, The blood shall be given, shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Going down to verse 21. Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of this house until the morning, for the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your house to strike you. You shall observe this rite as a statute for you and your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you, as he has promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is the sacrifice Of the Lord's Passover, for he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshiped. Then the people of Israel went and did so, and as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. Fast forward to John chapter 1, and we find John the Baptist is baptizing the people. He's telling them, those people who were confused, about who he was, that he was, that there was one coming after him whose sandals straps he was not even worthy to untie. The very next day, John sees Jesus coming and he exclaims in verse 29, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The perfect, unblemished Lamb of God whose blood would be shed to save God's chosen people. The Old Testament story of the Passover is a wonderful picture of what Jesus does for all those who will believe. In order to be saved at the Passover, the people had to be obedient to the word of God. This and many other Old Testament stories connect to Jesus in the New Testament and point to him as our Savior. Moving through the Old Testament, God gave the Israelites his law in the form of the Ten Commandments. God instituted a system of animal sacrifice and the shedding of blood for the atonement of sins. The people were to follow the law, and if they violated the law, they would have to bring an unblemished animal to be killed so that the blood could be the atonement for their sin. And since the priests were also sinners, they had to sacrifice for themselves as well. 
None of them could follow the law. There was constant sacrifice over and over for years and years and years. So if the law and the sacrifices did not really save them, why did God put them in place? Well, the law was given to reveal our sin and our need for a Savior. The sacrifice was to show the way that God would ultimately accomplish the atonement of our sins. And these Old Testament things were a copy and a shadow of the real thing. Turn with me to Hebrews, if you will, in the New Testament. The book of Hebrews, chapter 8. And we're going to look at verses 5 through 7. It says, they serve, speaking of these things we just talked about, they serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God saying, see that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant. As the covenant he mediates is better since it is enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. So the promise is really that there is something better, someone better, and that someone is God himself manifested in Jesus Christ. The prophet Isaiah foretold this, not only that Jesus would come and pay uh, and be the atonement for our sins, but the prophet Isaiah paints a picture that is more than just saying Jesus died for our sins, which we tend to say and, and simplify it in that way. So turn, turn back to the Old Testament again, to the book of Isaiah, chapter 52. And we're going to be uh, starting in 52, verse 13. We'll go into 53 to verse 6. Starting verse 13 of chapter 52. This is the prophet Isaiah hundreds of years earlier talking about Jesus. It says, Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind, so shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told them, they see, and that which they have not heard, they understand. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, 
And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. This is an unavoidable truth of the gospel that Jesus Christ is the only sacrifice that could save us from the wrath of God. We'll look more at Isaiah 53 in a future sermon, but I encourage you to read Isaiah 52 and 53 on your own. It's true that Jesus died to take away our sins, but the gospel is so much deeper than that, and we as Christians should all understand how much deeper. And there's so many passages, and Isaiah 52 and 53 are just a couple that give us a picture that is deeper than sometimes our simplification of what Jesus has done for us. Now, something important that we did not talk about in relation to God's promise of a Savior is when did God come up with this plan? We cannot miss what God's word has to say about that because it is such a wonderful and amazing truth and unavoidable truth. So I have another weak analogy for you. Uh, but this is what came to my mind. That, I hope that doesn't mean my mind's weak, but that's what came to my mind. Uh, let's say you decided to create a business, and the business would be all about you. Before you created the business, you decided you would choose a group of people uh, and pay them well and give them everything they needed to be part of your business and to do it in such a way that other people wanted to be part of their business. You would give this chosen people a set of guidelines to follow in order to realize they have the best boss ever, and the guidelines will keep them from harm. The only thing is that they have to follow the guidelines or they'll have to die. But that's just the way it has to be. And you give them so much it shouldn't be a problem anyway. Now you create the business and before you choose the people, you get a vision of the future and see that everyone you're about to choose says they'll do what you want. But then you're going to turn, they're going to turn right around and betray you. They're going to take everything you have given them ignore you, lie to you, lie to everyone about you, hate you, and even worse, turn to a different boss and follow them and take other people with them. And you know that they have to die, but you love them and know that you can make things right if you die for them. Are you going to start that business? Are you going to choose that people? I, I can't imagine any person ever starting a business having that kind of knowledge, and still choosing those people. So again, I realize the analogy break, breaks down in a lot of ways, but the point is you would be crazy and everyone would agree that you're crazy if you still chose that group of people. What would be the point? God knew from the very beginning that we were going to reject him and be enemies of his. He also knew that his own rules made it so he was the only one that could fix the problem and by dying for us and taking our place, that he would have to be the atonement for our sins. But God did it anyway. This is love that's hard to grasp. 
But as Christians, this is what gives us life. We should be talking about this all the time. He always knew it would be this way, and he still chose me. 1 Peter 1, 20 through 21 says, He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Now turn back, back, if you will, to our original passage in Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1. And let's look at this again. Uh, verses 3 through 10. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Before the foundation of the world, we cannot miss this, that this was always God's plan to do it this way. It didn't stop him from doing it, because As we go on, in love, in verse 5, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. And why? To the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, not in us, in him we have redemption through his blood. He was that lamb. He's the perfect lamb without blemish that covered our sins. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Now, this uniting all things in him and on heaven and on earth isn't a kumbaya kind of thing that is available or, or that is going to happen to everyone because this requires obedience. Like God required obedience from the Israelites in Exodus, he requires obedience and trust in him for this promise to mean anything to us. This was not something, this knowing about this all along, This was not something that God just came up with and threw together because we surprised him by our sin. He knew from before he created, but he did it anyway. And why? That we should be holy and blameless before him through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will to the praise of his glorious name and his glorious grace. Because of this great love, mercy, and grace, and because he gets all the glory, how better to point the spotlight on himself than to die for his enemies to make them his sons and daughters? This should be on our minds all the time as Christians. Is there anything better than this, than then the God who created us, knowing that I would be his enemy, would still create me 
so that he could die for me. Yes, because he loves me. But more importantly, because he deserves the glory and the grace. This is to lift his name up. This should be exciting for us as Christians to think about this. It's not just Jesus died for my sins. It's everything else. It's, it's all the story, the whole of it. And we should understand that so that we can share that when we talk about Jesus beyond just Jesus died for my sins. And there was an appointed time for the Passover. There was an appointed time where God told them to shed the blood of the lamb and put it on the doorposts. And they had to be obedient there. And just like that appointed time, there was an appointed time that Christ would come and be our perfect lamb, the sacrifice. In the book of John, chapter 1, verse 14 says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Next week, Brandon will be talking about this as we continue in the series with his message about the coming Savior. So I hope that everybody will come back. And I hope that all of us will go out as Christians and live like we believe. It's more than just Jesus Christ as our Savior. It's all the backstory. We can't avoid the sin without telling about the sin. There's no gospel. What need is there of a Savior if we don't talk about it at all? But it's not a depressing thing for a believer. As Christians, there is nothing better than this, that we have a God who would love us this much. So go and live like you believe. Let's stand and pray today. Father, we do thank you again for your word. We thank you for this amazing promise that we, as believers living in 2016, can look at your word. We can see through the Old Testament that this is not new, that this has been around from before you created, that your plan was always this way, and yet you promised anyway. God, we are so grateful. Help us each to be convicted in our hearts of the truth of this, that this, that this would mark our lives and be what we're known for living by. Help us as we go, Lord, to glorify you because it is all for your glory. We love you and we thank you for your promise of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So are we going to have a...